Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to Episode 9 of the B2B Social Media Podcast. This is Eric Schwartzman in Los Angeles. And Paul Gillen in Framia, Massachusetts. And joining us as our special guest today is Alan Schoenberg, uh, the Director of Corporate Communications at CME Group from London. Alan, welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, If you uh, would like to send comments or feedback or criticism, uh, the email is uh, comments at b2bsocialmediapodcast.com. Uh, there's all sorts of other information on the show blog at ontherecordpodcast.com. And in this episode, we're going to talk about some news from Match.com, which could pose new legal risks to your organization with how you use social media. We'll talk a little bit about how CME Group is integrating Facebook into their own destination site. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Google Analytics 5 and the new multi-channel uh, funnel reporting, uh, which they're rolling out, and uh, we'll finish up with a discussion of Rapid Buyer, which is a new B2B daily deal platform. Uh, so, Paul, you want to start off with uh, Match.com? Yeah, this is going to pick up on a story that came out last week regarding uh, the dating service Match.com and a lawsuit by a woman who uh, says that she was attacked by someone she met uh, on the site, and that uh, the real interesting thing here, I think, for our agenda is that she claims that Match.com uh, knew or had access to information that this person that she met uh, was in the FBI's National Sex Offender Registry and chose not to reveal that information. Match.com said that, uh, in fact, they have looked at revealing that information uh, in the past and have chosen not to do it because they believe that it would create a false sense of security in the minds of their uh, members because the information is, uh, the quality of the information is suspect. This is information from the FBI. Uh, now, whatever you may think about Match's uh, agenda here, I think the interesting question is, are we as as publishers, uh, really is what we're all doing these days, obliged to give information to our audience uh, regardless of um, of whether we like it or even whether we think it's all true, but on the supposition that some of it may actually be uh, be of value to that audience? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is Alan, I guess, you know, I'll start and uh, I think there's there's a real slippery slope here. I mean, we've got um, obviously a lot of anonymous activity. You know, if you look at the streams and Twitter and chat boards and people commenting on blogs, um, you know, there's. I guess we already live in a world where where people aren't revealing a lot of information about themselves. So, I mean, that's just one aspect of it. But you know, as a as a content provider and the things were. I guess providing to our um, stakeholders through through what we're doing. I mean, there's uh, the debate is is, is pretty um, you know intense from other corporate communicators that I talk with about you know how do you disclose the information you have. You know, Twitter's a, a good example. You have 140 characters, so um, you know what can you put in that uh, you know that that short amount of space, but. Yeah, clear, clearly we're we're still in uncharted territory with um, with all things social media. 
You know, I have a kind of a different view on this. I mean, uh, the information on sex offenders is basically information that's recorded by a government agency. And so in my view, I think it's the government's responsibility for not making that type of information easier to find. I mean, the truth is, uh, you know, the, the vernacular with which government communicates is so unuseful and so counterintuitive uh, that basically if you want to get background information on someone, like public records, like bankruptcy filings or criminal background, you basically have to pay a service to do a background check. That's how bad a job the government has done. And if you look at like, um, you know, what's what's evolving now in the world of microformats, and you can just go to microformats.org, you can see that there's a lot of different markup schemes that are being developed um, that can actually be put into HTML to identify the type of information it is. Uh, we already have markup schemes for phone numbers, for address. Uh, it's a big part of local search now. But some of the drafts that are in development, uh, they've got a markup scheme for cooking and baking recipes. They are developing a markup scheme for resumes, for publishing resumes and CVs. Um, they're, uh, they've got a number of them on here. We'll have a link in the show notes. But it seems to me that the government really has to start marking up the data that they publish online so that it's easy to find. Well, of course, XML has been around for more than a decade, and that was the uh, the promise of XML was to make everything customizable and industry-specific and markupable, and it really hasn't ever achieved quite that potential. I think in this case, I uh, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty, but it's hard to doubt the value of the uh, information in the, the registry. Match.com didn't have to endorse that information, though, in order to disclose it. It would have been, they wouldn't have to match individual members to names in the registry. They could have simply included a link on, uh, in the footer of every page, or they could have included it in uh, a link to the geographical profile of an area where uh, someone lived and enable people to make their own decision. And I think that's, that's sort of the operative question here. Match.com made a decision on behalf of its members in saying, we don't trust this information, therefore we won't let you see it. And I think we're moving into an age when we increasingly have to trust our audience to make that decision for themselves. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think they'll, they're, you know, they could have fallen back on, on the privacy, you know, hey, you know, you know, there is certain privacy information, and if it's public, you can kind of go find it on your own. But I do think that their their argument, uh, you know, is is somewhat weak, and uh, and that they're they're saying that uh, you know we don't trust this information. And Eric, as you pointed out, I mean, you know, it's coming from a federal government registry, so. Um, you know, I don't know if maybe, maybe they think there's some conspiracy theory around it or not, but, uh, you know, that, that argument to me just, uh, does seem pretty weak, guys. The, the other thing I think is, is a weak argument that, um, you know, the claim that, well, we don't know if it's factual, so we don't want to endorse it. Um, you know, in a previous episode of this podcast, I interviewed a woman by the name of Leisha Palin. She is an assistant professor in the Connective IT Lab at the University of Colorado at Boulder. And she and her students in the Graduate Media Lab did a study on how um, students and parents and friends um, during the Virginia Tech shootings use social media to figure out what was going on. And the result of her study was that uh, using the Internet, problem-solving collectively both students on campus, parents remotely, other folks around, were able to predict with 100% accuracy the names of 22 of the 23 fatally shot, killed students 
90 minutes prior to the university's ability to get out a press release. And her takeaway was, look, uh, we understand the university has a responsibility to notify next of kin before making that official announcement. And we understand that, you know, the university may not be able to sanction the social media back channel. But if that information had been available, is it possible that uh, that might have saved some lives? You know, so, so her takeaway was organizations need to figure out a way to embrace the social media black channel without necessarily endorsing it. We're going to move on to our next topic, which is about Facebook for B2B. And, uh, you know, as we found, Eric and I found in researching our book, uh, that, uh, and as research has shown, that uh, B2B marketers have embraced LinkedIn to a greater degree than Facebook as a B2B channel, as a general marketing channel. Uh, but we wonder whether that may be changing. Uh, we've seen a number of uh, companies, uh, Cisco is one of them, that have uh, had good success on on Facebook uh, with from a marketing capacity, and I was struck by a comment Alan made uh, the other day about CMEs groups uh, pl plans the success companies having with Facebook. And I wonder, Alan, as uh, as a guy who is uh, about as fully in the B two B business as you can get, uh, is your thinking evolving about Facebook? Yeah, I mean we've been doing Facebook now uh, and using it as a platform to communicate with. Stakeholders. It'll be four years um, this August, so um, I, I think that's almost uh, <laughs> almost a lifetime in social media. So we've we've certainly you know had our feet in the water for for a while. And you know, Paul, I think as I commented to you uh, you know before in, in the past when we've talked that you know when we first started, it, you know, I, I was pretty skeptical of Facebook. Um, you know, it, it's taken a long time for us to really build some traction there. And uh, I think we're finally there where we're really getting a lot of activity, a lot of data, some good feedback. Um, but it was one of these things that, you know, we had to stick with. And, and the Facebooks, um, you know, hey, it, you know, kudos to them. They, they've really done some interesting things to make it a much, um, much more user-friendly uh, platform for B2B companies. Uh, Alan, I want to ask you about specifically the new Facebook questions feature, uh, which is really about the most direct action we've seen Facebook take aimed at uh, at LinkedIn strength. Uh, are you finding any, are you seeing any traction from that new um, that new development? Yeah, we've, um, I would say in the last uh, two to three weeks, really taken uh, taken a liking to the, to the question feature. For us, it's great because there's so many news, um, economic trends and issues um, that we talk about with people whether it's on LinkedIn or Twitter, but, you know, Facebook kind of gives us that stickiness uh, platform. And, you know, tying questions to, you know, what happened, um, you know, in yesterday's news developments, um, you know, having a story and getting people's thoughts and opinions. And, you know, one thing that's obviously the case in all marketers, you have to be consistent. So, you know, doing this every day now has become something that people just expect and, uh, you know, we're getting some good traction on it. And obviously, you know, some of the questions work, some of them don't, but, you know, we're, we're trying it. Um, I, I like it, and, uh, you know, we get good analytics from it as well. When we come back, we're going to talk about Google Analytics 5, multi-channel funnel reporting, and a new B2B deal site uh, just launched yesterday. Stay with us. This January 2011, Paul Gillen and Eric Schwartzman bring you the first book devoted exclusively to B2B social media communications. Packed with business-to-business -business case studies and applied knowledge, 
Social Marketing to the Business Customer is the most comprehensive collection of B2B social media marketing guidance ever assembled. B2B markets are driven by value and relationships. That's very different from B2C markets. This book's a hands-on guide. It walks business people step-by-step through the process of using social media to find and engage business customers and ultimately drive more revenue. Social Marketing to the Business Customer is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and Borders, or buy it at our show blog at ontherecordpodcast.com, also available for iPad and Kindle. So um, Google recently released uh, their uh, latest uh, version of analytics. It's analytics five. And if you're an analytics user and you log in, um, you'll actually see in the upper left hand corner, just next to your email address, your Gmail address, a little uh, flag that says new version. And if you click on new version, uh, you're going to get a whole new dashboard. Uh, you're going to get all sorts of new widgets that make it really easy to set up custom views. You're going to get a very uh, powerful um, advanced segment uh, feature that will allow you to apply segmentation to all your reports. Um, and also, uh, a lot of the reports that um, were there but didn't get a lot of usage have been eliminated by Google. I actually learned about this uh, through one of my new favorite podcasts. It's called Beyond Web Analytics. And on it, uh, they had interviewed somebody named Justin Catroni who wrote a book called Google Analytics and who works at a company called Cardinal Path. And they are actually certified trainers by Google of Google Analytics. And um, actually, on this podcast, uh, we interview him in a two-part episode, which is coming up. So uh, look for that on the feed. Um, I'd like to play for you a little video. Well, you'll just hear the audio in this podcast, but I'm going to play for you um, a little video here that introduces uh, the concept of multi-channel uh, funnels in Google Analytics. visits your website and does something you want them to do, like buy an item or visit a certain page, it's called a conversion. And as a marketer, you've probably set up conversion tracking to see what's working. Usually, the last ad, search, or referral clicked on directly before the conversion gets all the credit. In reality, a conversion is a lot like scoring a goal in a basketball game. It takes more than one player to make it happen. And if you were coaching the team, you'd want to see all the players who assisted in the goal, so you could identify how they interacted and score again and again, right? It's the same in online marketing. If you think of the marketing channels that drive traffic to your site as your players, the ones making the assists are often just as important as the one making the goal. The ways your customers interact with your channels are all part of the marketing funnel leading to conversion. Often, your customers engage more with these channels than they do with the final click that's getting all the credit. Imagine being able to see how your customers interacted with all your channels before the conversion. Just like a coach, you'd be able to identify channels making the assists and optimize your marketing for more conversions. Well, now you can with multi-channel funnels, new in Google Analytics. When you set up a goal or track e-commerce transactions in Google Analytics, multi-channel funnels automatically shows you how customers interact with your digital channels for up to a month or more before the conversion happens. Let's have a look. 
Starting with the overview report, you can see a snapshot of the total number of conversions, as well as the amount of conversions that had assists before the last click. Then to see the number of interactions your visitors had with your channels, check out the path length report. Here, you can easily see if conversions happened because of interactions in the marketing funnel, or if the last ad clicked was solely responsible for the conversion. Understanding customer purchasing behavior is one of the most important insights you can have. With the time lag report, you can see the amount of time customers take from the first channel interaction to conversion. Another report called Top Paths shows the different routes customers take before the conversion. You can view all these paths through filters like campaign or keyword to see the popular paths through your funnel and find out what's working. The Top Paths report can also tell you how your channels work together and in what order to bring you conversions. For instance, is an email newsletter causing searches that lead to conversions? Or perhaps a banner ad is triggering direct visits? Get even more granular with the Assisted Conversions Report, where you can see which specific channels, campaigns, or keywords assisted, and how. It's a great way to test and see how new campaigns and channels are contributing in the funnel. Multi-Channel Funnels in Google Analytics the easy way to see and analyze how customers interact with your channels to optimize your marketing funnel. Let me give you a little overview of multi-channel funnels. Um, basically, the way analytics work now, the last page that someone went to on your website, uh, which led to a conversion, typically winds up getting all the credit. But the truth is, if you think about like the way things work, maybe on a basketball team, you know, it's not just the guy who makes the final play and scores the uh, the goal who's responsible for those two points. He could have been set up. There could have been a great assist. Um, all, there's all sorts of other things going on on the basketball court um, that allowed uh, that player to actually score. And so, you know, when you look at analytics today, there's it's it's very difficult to attribute, you know, which of the channels are working best. Um, in a previous um, episode of this podcast, we spoke to uh, the product manager of um, Omniture, and they talked about how they have some products that are, you know, helping you figure out how much money you're making off Facebook versus paid search versus Twitter versus other sources. And now, you know, Google has it. Now, let me just give you a, a disclaimer here. Um, this new multi-channel funnels, uh, which is part of um, version 5, is not available to all users at this time. It was announced by Amy Chang, she's the uh, product manager for Google Analytics, at a panel at AdTech San Francisco last week, and on the panel was Justin Catroni and also Laura, Laura Holmes. And uh, she demoed it there and, um, and talked about these little videos that have been released. But... Uh, very powerful stuff. I've been playing around with five. I don't have the multi-channel um, funnels yet in my system, but uh, I talked to Justin about them and looked also at some of the things in five and incredibly powerful. I mean, they're taking a lot of the guesswork out of online marketing. Yeah, this is, uh, I mean, this is a, uh, in baseball terms, a home run. Um, you know, the, the old adage is, you know, right, if you can't, if you can't measure it, you can't management. And, and analytics is all about managing your projects and your work. And I, I'm so thrilled at, you know, seeing something like this coming out of, out of Google. Um, if I'm, if I'm Adobe, I'm not sure. I'm a, I'm a little, a little afraid right now, uh, about what's coming down the, uh, the pipe for, uh, for analytics. But, um, 
you know, having this kind of insight and seeing where people are coming from and where they're going, um, you know, if, if you're a marketer not taking advantage of this, uh, that's, just, that's just wrong. Anything you'd be willing to share with us, Alan, uh, based on your experience on what works best for B2B, any sort of generalizations you'd be willing to make, which channels are most effective? You know, we have been seeing, you know, a lot of growth um, really coming from Twitter. Uh, we have a huge presence on Twitter. We have a partnership with StockTwits. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a real um, audience in real time that deals with, you know, financial, economic news and information and allows us to deliver things in near real time based on what's happening. So we can kind of get that surge in traffic and, uh, you know, with the analytics tools that we use, we can see where people are coming into the site and where they're going. But, you know, t- Twitter stock foot has been, has been great for us. And honestly, I think like most B2B companies, you know, direct email, um, still works. Um, you know, people, for as much as people, um, kind of, uh, push it off to the side, it's, it's still a, an effective tool at, you know, getting people to, um, come to your site, look at what's going on, download uh, download information, and uh, and it's still very effective for us. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, Google it's sort of po- popular to to dump on Google these days because it's uh, uh, you know it's the the week also ran to Facebook, but people sometimes forget that uh, for you know every Google wave and uh, and all of the marginal successes, every Google buzz, every failure they've they've had. They have some home runs like this, and Google has been uh, clearly, you know, the dominant uh, player in analytics, and they continue to drive their competitors harder by giving away for free something that used to cost, you know, thousands of dollars a month to get from uh, from their competitors. I, I particularly love the the multi funnel features of this um, of this product uh, because. This is something that plays right to what I hear most often from B2B marketers, which is about ROI. How do we calculate ROI? Well, the way you calculate ROI is you better have good analytics in place. You better know where your visitors are coming from, where they're going, how they're reaching a conversion point, who's converting, why they're converting, what the patterns are, what sources are sending them to, to those conversion pages. And that's where Google is moving with this re- latest release. And the good news is, as you said, Alan, I'd be a little afraid to be Obi, uh, Adobe right now, but this is going to drive Adobe to make its to make its products even better to, to stay ahead of Google. It's just great news for, for uh, website administrators everywhere. Yeah, and, and I think as you guys have probably seen and talking with, with, with clients, I mean, there, there is just so much data out there and tools like this. And, and, and Paul, I think you're right. I think Adobe will, will step up its game as well. Um, you know, sifting through all of that information is just becoming so much work. Um, and finding out what exactly are the sweet spots and, you know, what kind of content and, you know, you guys could probably have a whole other show and probably have have content shows in the pipeline, but you know having the right content and good content also you know makes makes us a, a great effort by by Google to figure that out. Yeah, I'll tell you, I did these um, interviews with Justin Catroni, the author of Google Analytics, and um, uh, the guy who uh, wrote up the blog post uh, about um, the 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 funnels, um, the multi-channel funnels uh, reporting. 
and uh, I was just blown away with how much I learned in such a short period of time with him. So I hope to get those shows up fairly quickly. Um, the next item uh, I want to uh, share with um, everybody and, and talk about is a new B2B daily deal site uh, that was launched with a business publisher. Um, and this is from ClickZ, business-to-business daily deals platform rapid buyer launched today, aided by a close partnership with Advanced Publications, owned regional business publisher of American City Business Journal. So these are like, you know, LA Business Journal, New Jersey Business Journal, that type of thing. Uh, rapid buyer hopes ACBJ's existing small, medium-sized business audience and advertiser base will provide it with instant scale, exposing it to both buyers and sellers of daily deals. Initially, Rapid Buyer will establish 40 co-branded sites with ACBJ, one for each of the markets in which the publisher currently operates. ACBJ's sales force will attempt to sell deal offers to its existing advertisers in those markets and will also promote the offers to its audiences with a pair sharing the result with the pair sharing the resulting revenue and here's the quote um, this is the largest effort to date in terms of footprint for a b2b daily deals business uh, rapid buyer ceo tom alley told click c despite existing b2b platforms already operating in some markets alley suggested his company's partnership with acbj gave it an instant advantage in terms of both scale and reach he says we can quickly be in 40 markets without having to have those people on our staff. In order to win this space today, you really have to partner as opposed to going it alone. And um, as we reported on an earlier episode of this podcast, Groupon has been uh, you know, trying their hand at B2B. There's another site called Living Social uh, that's been trying their hand at B2B. So the question is, you know, will the um, inclusion of a uh, business-focused sales staff give these guys an edge? What do you think? I, I, two words. I, I'll say good luck. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm, I'm highly, highly skeptical, um, and, and I, I do wish them luck, and I hope it works. But I, I just cannot see with the long lead cycles, the amount of decision time that B2B companies um, go through in terms of a sales process, a selection process. I find it um, difficult on a very large scale that this could work. Perhaps you know. In a, in a large market like in LA, a Chicago, or New York, where, you know, maybe there's a, a restaurant that needs to buy, a, a, for instance, a lot of silverware, napkins, or plates, it's something like this could work. But I, uh, on a large scale, I just don't see it. Paul, let me ask you something. Um, right now, the example that they're showing for Rapid Buyer is ECM's. Mosey Pro 5 license online backup software. Uh, they say it's worth $400. They're discounting it for uh, 50% for $199. And they have like a little ticker clock that shows you like how long the deal is, is going to be until it expires, kind of like a Groupon. What do you think? I mean, is this really only a fit for impulse purchases? I mean, is, this, is there any place for this in the world of considered purchases? Well, it's a great way to reach customers you don't want to have. Uh, so the you know the, the price competitive or the price sensitive customer is the uh, it's the home buyer it's the uh, uh, the person who uh, is motivated primarily by price and is not someone who is who is uh, looking to uh, you know to support a uh, an enterprise and for most companies 
uh, you know, software companies are, are in particularly rough shape right now because nobody wants to pay for software anymore. So uh, selling it for half price is a better deal than the alternative, which is going open source. Uh, I, I don't think that try you know B two B markets are not historically nearly as cost sensitive as B two C markets. Uh, people B two B buyers want value, and they don't care if they have to pay a little extra for it if they get something that is going to be reliable and and uh, uh, and that they can bet their business on. So I just I, I agree with Alan. I don't see any way. I don't see any way this works. What if we're talking about copy paper? I mean, what if we're talking about lunchroom supplies? I get it on eBay. Staple, daily staples like that that a B2B company needs probably would work. But, you know, uh, uh, any kind of a B2B company in, in an enterprise situation, you know, as Paul pointed out, you need, you need service. Where's the service from? Look, you can buy all the software you want at a discount from this uh, offering, but... If you don't get any service or any type of agreement with it, I, I think it's just too risky. I don't know how many how many CIOs or CEOs I've spoken to over the years who have said, "I never want to be the low cost provider." You know, you you just it's it's a losing strategy unless you're Walmart. It's a losing strategy. Yep, I I, I tend to agree. Again, I wish them the best of luck. I have to agree with both you guys. I wish them the best of luck too. Okay, well, we all agree on that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let's talk about what's upcoming. Uh, Alan, uh, you're, you're over in the UK working for CME. Um, what's, uh, what's on your agenda right now? Yeah, uh, well, I uh, relocated here uh, four months ago. Uh, you know, life here in the UK is, is, is going well. Um, you know, our business is growing internationally. So, you know, I've been here to help, uh, you know, support all the growth that we have throughout Europe um, as well as Asia. You know, we've got, uh, from a social media standpoint, uh, some interesting things that we certainly are looking at. Um, you know, the new Facebook API to integrate into our own web pages is something that, you know, we, we are going to try on, on uh, some select sections of the site. And, uh, you know, Paul, we didn't really get into that uh, earlier, but, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, you can now kind of Facebook eyes your own website with comments. So if someone leaves a comment, it goes on their Facebook page as well as your your website. And it, it's uh, it's an interesting concept. So, um, and we've got a few other things up our sleeves, uh, social media-wise. So um, I, I think the big thing that we're really interested in is, is you know, it all goes back to face-to-face time, right? So what can we do with events? Um, so many conferences, and now that so many people are on social media in the financial industry that we're finding from partners and customers and, um, you know, the industries and the associations we're at, I think leveraging events is really going to be a, a killer kind of B2B, you know, um, way to use social media. And, that, and that's something I'm pretty excited about. Well, far be it from me to suggest anyone selectively disclose anything in the financial industry, but you are whispering into the ears of a lot of wired, influential listeners here on this show so if there's anything at all you want to uh, seed into the marketplace about something you're working on that you haven't announced yet, uh, remember, it'll take a while for people even to download and listen to this show. Oh, my God. Let's, uh, let's, I'll alert the SEC immediately. <laughs> I was say, does Eric work for the SEC? <laughs> well, well to you know, our guests, Eric. If we go to Match.com, you can't trust anything from the government, so... <laughs> 
That's great. I'm just trying to get a scoop, guys. I'm just looking for a scoop. <laughs> it never here. hurts to ask. I'll uh, be, uh, of course, Eric and I will be at the uh, Digital Impact Conference in New York next week, a PRSA conference. And I'll also be uh, hosting the B2B Magazine Social Media Breakfast in New York on May 24th. We'll have representatives there from uh, on a panel from uh, EMC. Uh, LexisNexis, uh, Cisco, and Firehouse.com, which is an absolutely fascinating B2B site that uh, deals, that's aimed, uh, a site, a magazine and events schedule that aims uh, primarily at people who work in the emergency medical and uh, fire and firefighting industries. And they're in a, a recipient of an award from B2B Magazine. I'll have the pleasure of hosting them on a panel uh, on May 24th. We will also be at um, the Digital Impact recording some of the sessions and doing some one-on-one -on -one interviews with a lot of the speakers there. So you can expect those coming down the pike on this feed. Um, one of the things I'll mention, um, I'll be teaching uh, what's my favorite course of the year to teach. It's the um, Social Media Marketing Workshop, and it'll be in Los Angeles June 30th and July 1st. Uh, you can find information at www.socialmediabootcamp.com. It's a small course. Um, there's only 24 seats, and about half of them are gone. So if you're interested, uh, you can go there and sign up. And that'll do it for this episode, podcast number nine of B2B Social Media Podcast. Uh, my name is Paul Gillen with Eric Schwartzman in Los Angeles. Thanks to our special guest, Alan Schoenberg, coming to us all the way from the Royal Wedding in London. And uh, we will see you next show. So long, everyone. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com.